First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Have you ever prayed about something and you thought you knew how God ought to answer it? I think we all do that from time to time. We offer our prayers to God and we're thinking, okay, Lord, now here's how I want you to say yes to this or I want you to say no to this or whatever it may be. And when God didn't answer the way you thought he should answer, did you get a little upset with him? Don't answer that. I don't want, I don't want to know. All right. But I know human nature and I know how we do sometimes. We're going to consider the sovereignty of God this morning. As I said, God can answer our prayers however he chooses to because he is the sovereign God. And as we begin this message, I want to take the time just to look at several verses of scripture from the Old Testament and then some from the New Testament that revealed to us the sovereignty of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39. We're going to go rather rapidly. You may not have time to turn to all of these, but you can note them on the screen or you can read along there. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. There is no other God. I don't care what name men may use. There is no other God than Jehovah God. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14. Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also and all that therein is. So it all belongs to him, right? And we're going to talk about that maybe in a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 32 beginning in verse 39. See now that I, even I am he. And there is no God with me. And what he's saying, there's no other God beside him. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Then Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And Psalm 89, 11, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. So we get the understanding from the Old Testament. There's only one God, and that is the God of heaven. That is Jehovah God. And all of this that exists, not just this building, this planet, but all of creation, not only was made by him, but folks belongs to him. Amen. And he can do with it as he likes. People get worried sometimes, are we going to destroy the world by nuclear proliferation or by pollution or all of these things? Listen, man can't destroy what God created. Amen. And so we may make living conditions difficult. We may do that. 
But we're not going to destroy what God created. The New Testament also declares God's sovereignty. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. We're going to sing this one of these days, I think. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Why was all of this created? For God's pleasure. Why were you created? For God's pleasure. Why was I created? For God's pleasure. We exist to bring glory and pleasure to God. And then Acts chapter 17, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. We oftentimes refer to this as the church. Well, the body is the church, not the building. And God doesn't just live in here, folks. This building is not, you know, I've had people come by. I think I mentioned this last week, maybe. But people who don't normally attend here will come in the building. They're amazed at how much larger the sanctuary seems. And that's what I'm always going to call it, by the way. This is not, to me, an auditorium. It's a sanctuary. That's the way I was raised. But how much larger it seems once you get inside of it than it does from the outside. But as large as it is, and there are others that are larger, it's not going to contain God. God is that great and God is that glorious. Well, what is sovereignty? Webster says sovereignty is supreme excellence. It is supreme power. It is freedom from external control. It is autonomy. That means nobody controls God. Nobody tells God what to do. Nobody tells God what is right and what is wrong. God is sovereign. He is supreme. Sovereign means possessed of supreme power, unlimited in extent, absolute. So when we apply it to God, the term sovereign and the term sovereignty, when we apply it to God, first of all, as I just said a moment ago, it means he's the only true God. There's none equal to him. He means he is the authority and the all authority exists in him. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28? All authority, he said, he said all power, but it means authority. All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Well, where did you get that authority, Lord? Because he is God, okay? He has all authority. And it also means this to us. Since God is the creator of all things, I think I mentioned this a moment ago. Since God's the creator of everything, he can do with it what he wants. If he wants to cut a life short, he can cut it short. If he wants to extend it, he can extend it. God can just do whatever he wants. And here's the other thing. It means that since he is God, whatever he does is right, period. End of discussion. God is sovereign. God is supreme. And sovereignty is God's exercise of that supremacy. In Psalm 2, God's revealed He's shown looking down upon this earth and upon mankind and observing mankind from heaven. Read Psalm 2. We had a message from it just recently. He sees the heathen, the lost people of this world, the vast number of those that are lost just going about raging, it says. I've seen the heathen rage, Psalm 2 says. He knows what the people are doing and he knows their vain and empty lives. I told the Sunday school class... uh, not off of this soapbox yet, but what aired last Sunday night in the award show. Folks, God saw that. And he knows the hearts and the minds of the people who presented it. 
And he will ultimately in his time and in his way deal with that. But he sees the heathen rage. He sees people with vain and empty imaginations. He sees kings at war. He knows what's going on in Ukraine right now. And he sees kings in rebellion. And what did he say his response is? He's going to laugh. He's going to have them in derision. Because so many who are in power today or who think they're in power today think they got there by themselves. But being sovereign, God knows what, not only what their beginning was, but he knows what their end is. He knows what's coming to them. God is sovereign by right of creation, by right of position. He's God in heaven and by right of power. Psalm 100 verse 3, know ye not that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. So many people and even some of them God's people who live like they made themselves. I'm a self-made man. I got news for you. <laughs> God made you. So many people have the attitude that it's my life. I can do what I want. I've shared before. and you Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and read it there. It's not your life if you're a child of God. We belong to him. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we belong to God. In this day of atheism and agnosticism and humanism and teaching evolution, people have forgotten that God made us. And that there is a God in heaven. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about prior to the D-Day invasion. And the, we were talking about prayer. And the prayer of President Roosevelt, almost Brother Sean was pointing out almost a 20-minute prayer. When's the last time you saw a president of the United States stand up and lead the nation in prayer for anything? For anything. And he prayed. And what happened? The weather cleared. The D-Day invasion occurred. And many advantages were given to us and our fighting men because of prayer. It's God that is in control. And people have forgotten that. Mankind has become a God in his own mind. Well, again, it's my life. I make my decisions. I reached my position or whatever he may be saying and have forgotten the true and living God. But here's what we need to remember. God can exist without man. But man cannot exist without God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That word consist has the idea of being held together. You know why we haven't flown off out into space? You know why this world being held apart right now, even with all the things that are going on in this world? The hand of God's holding it together, folks. One of these days, God's going to pull back his restraints. We know that. We can read the book of Revelation and know the things that are going to take place, but God will pull back those restraints. And then lost man will have Satan for his God like he's always wanted. God's sovereignty ought to be comforting to me and you. Just the knowledge that I serve, I worship, I'm a child of a God who owns everything, the God who created everything, the God who controls everything. Under the utmost adverse circumstances, God controls everything. In the most severe trials that we may face, folks, God is in control. In affliction, in persecution, in illness, even in death, God is in control. Amen. And that ought to comfort us that he is. He is the all-powerful God. 
So we're going to look at three aspects of God's sovereignty this morning. And the first thing we're going to look at is that God's will is sovereign. God's will is sovereign. He can do what he wants. He's sovereign over the nations. You know, I believe God, and the Bible teaches us this, God has a design for time and for eternity. We may look at what's happening in the world today. I'll tell you about a headline I read just this week. I'm a headline reader. I'll read the headline. I don't read much of the story. I've got a little thing on my computer that gives you about a few lines of the story, so I can get a little bit of that. But this headline said this, it's possible that Mr. Putin may disappear one of these days. That tends to happen over there a lot of times when a leader gets unpopular with folks, that he may disappear. And he says, when that happens, Russia will be thrown into civil war. How does that play into the hands of end time events? I don't know. But God has it worked out. If he does disappear and if there is civil war, that's right in line with what God has designed, what God desires for this world. If you know your Bible and you spend time reading and studying the word of God, you can just look at this world and you can see things coming together. Interestingly, you know, we had a quote unquote weather balloon fly over the United States from somebody who not necessarily a close friend of ours. Today they said they shot down a UFO over their airspace, <laughs> you know. Things are heating up among the nations. We're getting close to the return of Jesus Christ. Vance Havner once said this, you can put a child of God in a dungeon with a Bible and he'll know more about what's going on in the world than all of those people in Congress. And he's right. All you have to do is look into the word of God. You know what's happening. Psalm 2, 2 says that the kings of the earth make their plans. Says they set themselves. That word set has the idea of taking their stand. The kings of the earth say this is what we're going to do. This is how we are going to promote things. And we get the picture of these kings considering themselves as sovereign because they are kings. Now, I'll be honest with you, and I'm not trying to be political, but I think we've got people representing us in our nation today who think they're sovereign, who have set themselves up as kings, and they're not. I asked the question the other day, when did we start calling those folks leaders? They're public servants. They're servants of the people. We put them there, okay? We have to remember that as a people. Meanwhile, back at the message, that had nothing to do with the sovereignty of God. It just popped into my head, and so I thought I'd share it. But according to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it is God who allows these folks to reign. He allows kings to reign. He allows people to serve in their positions, whatever they may be in this world. The scripture says there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. That word ordained means to be put in the ranks. Appointed by application and implication, it is that they are allowed by God to reign. They're not sovereign to their position. God just let them use it for a little while. You know, we're stewards over everything God gives us. It doesn't belong to us. He just lets us use it. We got a couple of cars. That's not ours. It's God's. He's letting us use them. Our house, it's God's. He's letting us use it. This building is God's. He's just letting us use it for a while. And those who are in office today, God just letting them serve there for a little while. They didn't get it themselves. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21. You remember what Daniel said in chapter 2 verse 21? He's talking about God. He said, he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings 
and he setteth up kings. It's in the hand of God, folks. The nations and this world. God declares his sovereignty in Isaiah 40:16. He says, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. God's will is going to be done in this world. We may look at situations and conditions, but we can be assured on the basis of God's sovereignty and on the basis of his counsel and his pleasure that his will is going to be accomplished in every one of these conditions and situations that we would look at today. But God's also sovereign over men. God's sovereign over all men, okay? Not just saved men. God is sovereign over all men. That's a reality of our lives. We read 1 Chronicles 29 and 11. Look at verse 12 here in 1 Chronicles 29. Both riches and honor come of thee. You have a good bank account? Thank God for it. You've received honor in your life? Thank God for it. And thou reignest over all, talking about God, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. James said that sort of this way. He said that we ought to say, if the Lord wills. We say, I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this and this and this. Tuesday I'm going to do this and this. And what we ought to say, if, if God wills, we'll be doing these things. If it is not God's will, we will be doing something else. The sovereign will of God works in the lives of his children, and it works in the lives of his churches. Over in the 16th chapter of Acts, if you want to take a minute to turn there, we're going to refer to some verses. But over in the 16th chapter of Acts, beginning in the 6th verse, we find Paul wanting to go into Asia. In fact, verse 6 says this, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now why didn't God want Paul to go into Asia? I don't know. God's word doesn't tell us. It just said they were forbidden of God to go into Asia. Well, look at verse 7. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. Well, Lord, we want to go over here and preach. No, don't go there and preach. Well, Lord, we want to go here and preach word. God says, no. The Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there and preach. And look down to verse 10. And after he had seen, the, well, look at verse 9, rather. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. God's working in the life of his children. He's working in the life of this missionary Paul. And Paul wants to go here, and God says no. And he wants to go here, and God says no. And God says, you go where I tell you to. And God opened a great and effectual door in Macedonia. And the gospel was preached, and the gospel began to, or was spread throughout the world. I've said before, I believe this. There's evidence that Paul may have even gotten over into Wales. And there were churches established, and the Welsh Baptists came to America and brought the gospel to America. Thank God that Paul did what God wanted him to do and didn't say, no, this is what I want to do. He is a God who controls his children and his churches. He opens doors and he closes doors. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. He's talking to the church at Philadelphia, okay? 
And he says, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door. The scripture says when God closes the door, don't you try to go through it. When God closes it, it's closed. But when God opens it, when God gives you an opportunity, when God says go there, then we better be willing to go. I was pastoring a church, great opportunity for mission work came up and that verse came to mind. God had opened the door and we went through that door and God blessed that and in just a few short years we had a church established in that place. We need to look for God to open doors and do his will when he opens a door. Through his will and his leadership, here's what he can do. Hey, do you want to lead somebody to the Lord? I hope you do. Through his leadership, God can bring you into the presence of somebody that's lost and that is looking and trying to find out how to be saved. Amen. I believe that, folks. See, a lot of times we, we have people, I mean, I've done this individual, I've done this as a pastor, I've done this with a church member as a pastor. There's one place we'd go visiting on Tuesday nights, we'd go to the same places every time. And the same people every time. And they never came to church. He just kept going back, trying to go through that door, trying to go through that door. Never any, anything accomplished there. Well, a lot of times we want to witness to somebody, but we pick out who we want to witness to. And they may be so hardened against the gospel and word of God that we couldn't even get through to them. But if we'll pray, Lord, I want to lead somebody to Christ today. Lord, open the door for me today. Lead me to somebody. Get me in a situation. Get me in a conversation with somebody that I can talk to about you, that I can witness to about Christ. Folks, I believe God will do that. I offered that challenge one time to a church and a lady who was a member said, she sort of took up that challenge. I said, don't you pray for God to lead you to somebody that's lost if you're not willing to witness to them. By the way, that warning still applies. Don't pray, Lord, lead me to somebody that wants to be saved if you're not willing to tell them about Christ. But she prayed that prayer. The Lord would lead her to somebody. That same week, a very close friend of hers who was lost began to ask her questions about the Lord. God will answer that prayer. God will open that door. And God will bring us to people, maybe saved people who need encouragement. He'll bring us to people who need uplifting. If we will just pray and ask him to, he can do that. He knows hearts. He'll lead us to people who need to be, who need exhortation. If we will just ask him to lead us. First Chronicles 29, 12 says, it's in God's hand to make great and to give strength to all. I don't know how many of you remember Larry Bird, great basketball player, Larry Bird, made this statement one time. He said, when I'm hot, Jesus Christ couldn't even guard me. Well, that's such a blasphemous statement. I don't want to say, Amen. deal with it too much, but I got news for Mr. Bird. Without God, Mr. Bird would be nothing. Amen. He would not have the ability. He was full of his own ego. By the way, you know what ego means? Edging God out. That's what ego is. When we're caught up with our own ego and we're so built up on our own ego, we're just edging God out. That's what we're doing. Regardless of somebody's position. I don't care whether they're a sports star, whether they're a political figure or whatever. God's sovereign will rules in their lives. If they're lifted up with pride, he can abase them. And the Bible says he will. 
Just remember Nebuchadnezzar over in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar looked at everything that he had and he said, man, I'm the great king Nebuchadnezzar. Boy, I am somebody. I've done all of this. And God said, you're fixing to meet your end right here. And what happened? He was, he lost his mind. He was driven out and he lost his great kingdom. God's will, God's sovereign will, will reign. But listen, God's, not only God's will, but God's works are sovereign. We know Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I hope I don't go blank on that one, all right? Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. God has a sovereign plan in every work that he has performed or that he will perform. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, going through school, I loved speech classes. I took drama. I was going to be a speech and drama major. And then that got turned to broadcasting. And man, I'm going to take all of these speech. I didn't know that God was preparing me to do this. Because being a preacher was the farthest thing from my mind. I was going to be a radio star. I was going to be in the big time. And God had some other plans. And God's will overruled my will. And we did what God said to do. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth by his voice. He spoke it and it came into existence. After the world was sent into disorder by the fall of Satan, God spoke and order was returned to this creation. God spoke and he made man. And the scripture says he breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. The Bible doesn't say that about animals, does it? They did not become living souls with spirits that are going to live eternally. I love my animals. But I tell you what, they don't have spirits. But you and I do. Because God breathed into us the breath of life. And he has the power and the ability to do whatever he wishes. And we should be thankful that he does. Colossians 1.16 tells us that there's absolutely nothing that is above God. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Do you realize that if this world, if, capital I, capital F, okay, if this world came into existence by accident, by some big bang, we don't have a sovereign God. The acts of God reveals that he's sovereign. He has sovereign power over the elements. Just go back to the book of Exodus. We're reading through the Bible. We've read through Exodus. Children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They come up to the Red Sea, and just like many Baptists, <laughs> they start to complain. God just brought us out here in the wilderness to let Pharaoh's army catch up with us out here and kill us out here. Because this Red Sea's in front of us, and this is an obstacle that's too great for us to cross. And what does the scripture say God did? He parted the Red Sea. You know how he did it? If you'll just read the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verse 21, it tells you how God parted the Red Sea. A strong east wind just blew that water back and there wasn't anything to flow that way. It dry, you know what wind does to wet ground? Dries it out. And they walked across dry shod, the scripture says. They didn't even get their feet muddy when they crossed the Red Sea. That's God's control over the elements. Joshua chapter 10, 
Verse 13, the Israelites are, are fighting a battle. They're fighting against the Amorites. They need some more time to get the job done. The day's coming to an end. They need more time to get the job done. You know what the scripture says God did? God told the sun to stand still. And the sun stood still. And they had enough light to finish the job, finish off the Amorites. And today, those who study astronomy and, and other things say that the stars indicate that there was a pause in the order of the solar system around the time of Joshua's life. Man, was that an accident? No, it was God. God controls the elements. He has sovereign power over the animal world. We studied Elijah. There's Elijah out there in the wilderness, and how's he fed? Ravens. Now, ravens are not normally birds that would bring you food. They're scavengers. And God uses them to bring food to Elijah. He feeds Elijah out there in the wilderness. That's the power of God. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. He's been put in the lion's den for praying to God. He's there in the lion's den. Now, wild, untamed lions are not the most friendliest. You know, I don't want to lose an arm petting one. Daniel's down there in the lion's den with them. And what happens? Nothing. <laughs> there was somebody else in there with him. And God shut the mouths of those lions. He controlled the animal. He's sovereign over the animal world. We can see God's hand. We can see his God's power in catastrophic events. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Don't worry about the wicked, all right? I mean, witness to them when you can, but if they just keep getting more and more wicked, God's going to take care of that. I have no issue, no problem there. He will not acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Go out. You know these little wispy clouds? I just thought of this when I read that. Go out on a day and look at these little wispy clouds. Oh, that's just the dust of God's feet. He's walking through heaven and that's just the dust of his feet there. Beautiful, beautiful picture in the word of God. Now, Nahum may be talking about actual physical events. He may be talking about storms and tornadoes and floods and hurricanes and earthquakes and all of the things that may happen. God has the power to bring those. God has the power to stop those. I can't remember which hurricane it was. Right after Rita, there was a big, another big one that came up from the Gulf. And they were telling us it's going to come right over us, right in this area. It's going to come right over us. And it's going to dump so much rain and all these winds and tornadoes and everything. Now, I'm not saying that I have power in prayer, but I prayed. And I'm sure there were other people praying. I said, Lord, turn it. I mean, I'm not trying to get anybody else in trouble, you know, and have problems. But spare us and, and turn it. And I watched that thing on radar and it came up and it got a few hundred miles from us and it just started turning east. Now, was that luck? Was that coincidence? No, folks, that's the sovereignty of God. God answered the prayers of his people and turned that storm. You say, preacher, you really believe that? I believe it with all of my heart. God's sovereign in all of these things. And I think it's expressed in one verse of scripture that's still in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. For we know, not think, not hope. For we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together. God will work them for our spiritual good and for his glory. 
And God can grow us and mature us as his children through the things that happen in our lives. Not only is God sovereign in his will, not only is God sovereign in his works, but God's way is sovereign also. His way is salvation is sovereign, isn't it? I mean, God has one way of salvation. I try to stop short sometime of using the word plan when I say that because I had a man in the church one time who said, I believe in the man, not the plan. He was talking about Jesus, you know. But God has one designed way that men might be saved, might have their sin forgiven and have a home in heaven. And some would look at the plan that God has, repentance toward him and faith in Christ. And they say, oh, why make it so narrow and say there's only one way to be saved, you know. There are all kinds of people, and, and I'm going to mention some of them in just a moment, that want to come up with their own plans of salvation and way to be saved. Salvation is not the design of some man. Salvation is not the design of some church. It is the way that God in his sovereignty has designed. It's the way that God in his sovereignty has determined. Acts chapter 4 verse 11 talking about Jesus. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm sorry, Brother Gene, I got that out of order. He's keeping up with me, all right? It is through Jesus Christ alone that we're saved. We know that. It's not Jesus in baptism. It's not Jesus in a Baptist church. It's not Jesus plus keeping laws and rules and commandments. It is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ alone that we have to trust. We must trust. Acts chapter 10 verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him should receive remission of sins. I said we're going to mention some. Remember Madonna? She had her daughter christened in the Catholic Church. Even with her lifestyle. And she told an interviewer I go to synagogue. And then she said I study Hinduism. And then she said this. In the end, all paths lead to God. She's wrong. Okay? There is one way to God. I'll try to get it in the right order now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one way to God, folks, and that is through Jesus Christ. And it's not like Taylor Swift who said in an interview, I have my own brand, my own form of Christianity, and it's not dull like that of the Bible. She's wrong. Amen. If you get the idea that some of this stuff this last week has stirred me up, it has. Not because you and I are going to hear it and believe it, but there are a lot of young people that are going to listen to this garbage that's being put out by people that they admire and they're going to listen to it. We need to set these young people straight. Why is Jesus the only way to God? Because God's sovereign and because he designed it that way. That's why. And that's the only reason that we can give. So God's way in salvation is sovereign and God's way of service is sovereign. God in his sovereignty has designed a place of service. I'm fixing to get even more narrow. Ephesians 3.21, y'all know this one? <laughs> you ought to. 
Unto him, unto God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. There's a place that God has designed that he will receive glory. And that is a scriptural New Testament church. And here's what's interesting. If you just look over to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. He's given us a picture of an Olympic runner. And he says, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way to do things. God has a right way and a wrong way. And God said he'll receive glory by Christ Jesus through one of his churches, a true New Testament church. Many years ago, I used to run. It's obvious that I don't now. I was running a race in Little Rock one day, six-mile race. First one I ever ran. And going up this way, you'd go up and you'd come over and you'd come back this way. So you could look down the street and you could see the leaders going that way while I'm still struggling. And there's no flat place in Little Rock, by the way. So you can see the leaders going that way. And this thought, came, of course you couldn't do it, but this thought came into my mind, well, I could just cut that way for a few blocks and I'd be in the lead. Well, that wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have gotten a prize. Why? You didn't follow the course. You didn't obey the rules. And God says, I have some rules about service and I want to be served through one of my churches. We have spiritual freelancers today. You know what a freelancer is? Freelancer is somebody that acts on his own responsibility and in response to his own authority. I'm going to do it and this is what I'm going to do and I'll, if I can sell it to you, I'll sell it to you or whatever. Some of these folks today say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, but the church, I can take it or leave it. I got news for you. God has a place of service. And to say what they say is like saying, I play football. Well, what team are you on? What league are you on? Oh, I'm not on any team. I'm not in any league. I just like to play football. And that's what a lot of people are saying in relation to the Lord's service today. God expects us to serve him, folks, through this church. If you're a member of this church, if you're not and God wants you here, he wants you to become a member and serve him through this church. But God expects you to serve him through this church and he expects you to be faithful in that service. And that's a quality that's missing today. At one point, Jesus asked this. He said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith or faithfulness on the earth? And I'm beginning to believe he's going to have to look high and low and look hard to find some faithfulness on this earth. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Written to a church. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 was written to a church. Moreover, it is required in stewards, what's the rest of that? That a man be found faithful. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is a reminder to God's people who are members of the Lord's churches, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That includes attendance, giving, praying, witnessing, studying, following God's leadership. God's way of salvation and God's way of service are sovereign because he's God. And he is sovereign. 
Many times we may wonder about the way God works. And I will say from experience, I think sometimes we may even think we know more than God does or know what is better for our lives than God does. And we get upset with him when he doesn't do the things we want him to do. Things don't work out our way. But we must remember that God's in heaven and we're down here. Years ago, I heard a story about some firefighters who were fighting a forest fire and they were trapped in the woods. But they had their radio and there was a plane flying above them, giving them directions of how to go to get out of those woods. And you know why they could do that? Because they were up above and they could see down. All of these firemen could see is, is just what was in front of them. And folks, that's the way we are. We can just see right now. You can't even see five minutes from now. Say, yeah, I can, preacher. You'll still be talking. Well, I don't know. But okay, you can't see an hour from now. I won't still be talking in an hour. But God can see tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and on into eternity. Why not let him direct the way we go with our lives? I think, and we're going to close with this, God's sovereignty is illustrated by a letter I found. It's called My Precious Child. My precious child, I am in control. I am sovereign. I am able to make things happen the way I want them to go. Yes, I do allow you to make your own choices. And I know you don't fully understand how these ideas can operate side by side, but I'm able to work within and around the choices you make to cause my ultimate purposes to succeed. For this, you must trust me. Ask me about your choices and plans. My wisdom is yours if you will ask. Just look at my son's death and resurrection. His enemies thought they were acting on their own. Yet while their choices revealed who they truly were, I made sure my words given to my prophets came true. I want you to cooperate with my plans. When the people around you don't do that, be assured I'm still in control. I will fulfill my plan. Their choices are their own, but I am still in control. Trust me, I will use it for your good. Lovingly, your heavenly Father. I am so thankful that we have a sovereign God. And I'm so thankful that one day, many years ago, I came to know him in a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. I don't know hearts. I don't know who's watching my live stream. I don't know where this message is going to go when it gets on the podcast site. But I will say this, for whoever may hear it, know first of all that God is sovereign in everything. And he has a sovereign plan of salvation that you need to hear. And again, that is turning to him in repentance and by faith applying the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And then after you're saved, God has a sovereign desire for you. And that is scriptural baptism and serving him through one of his churches and to be faithful to him in doing that. We need to worship our sovereign God. Not just on Sunday, but every day.